You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the For Love and Land podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. Each week, we're interviewing guests from across America. They all have one thing in common. They all are tied to the land. So if you're like us and you love all things land, welcome home. Hey guys, Adam here. Matt here. And um, thanks for joining us for another For Love of the Land podcast. Uh, we got a great topic that it's kind of, honestly, Matt, it's it's kind of weird that we haven't even got to this point yet in a hundred and, oh gosh, a hundred and, I think I looked at it the other day That's... between splitting up and doing the hunting pet podcast and then adding the For Love of the Land podcast and then doing away with the hunting podcast and kind of merging hunting and habitat together and and. I think we're somewhere around 150 podcasts we've told yeah we're, we're, we're right there in that neighborhood so for sure um this is a topic uh of farm equipment um and it fits great with the for love and land podcast but this kind of uh th- this farm that we're describing is more of the recreational farm the the guy who's buying it for hunting food plotting um kind of overall habitat improvement and how to do it on more of a budget basis. So we're going to prioritize different things um, and discuss gear that may be an unwanted expense that really doesn't reach your goals or help you reach your goals as quickly as maybe another piece of equipment. So um, hopefully this is for the guys that are, that are buying a farm and they're trying to figure out what all they need and how, what to um, consider the budget to be before they make that purchase on the farm. Um, and so, because we get this question a lot with our with our consulting uh, company, and it's really hopefully going to help some people understand just how much it takes to get a farm in the in uh, in the I guess to meet the goals that you're looking for. Yeah, I think it's super important to go into any any property purchase and know exactly what's going to take on the end to manage it and to get the results that you're looking for. I think that's where a lot of people fall short is okay, I have the property, but then, then that's when the work begins and you don't want to do, go out there unprepared without the right tools. And so setting a budget and having that in mind, exactly knowing what it takes um, for you ahead of time to reach those goals is definitely important. So this is surprising that we haven't done it, but here we are talking about what it takes from a tools equipment standpoint to run a recreational farm, let's say, 100 to 200 acres um, in size, and we've got a budget set at 25000 This is entry going into it with nothing, zero equipment ahead of time, and going in now having a plan ready to rock and roll. This is what you're going to need. Yep, for sure. And I think, you know, Matt, I thought of something that, that, can, that needs to be added uh, probably or you need to consider. Um, but it really depends on the property because there's a lot of properties that already have these available, but it 
who knows what you're getting into, and that is yep. a shed or barn to store all this. Uh, and the possibility of water. Yeah. Access to water is definitely important. Yeah. That kind of goes hand in hand with that shed. Yeah. So hoping there's a well already there or something available. Or I, friendly neighbors. <laughs> uh, yeah. I know a guy that um, pumps his straight out of the pond, and the pond was not the best uh most clear pond in the world it was scummy mm-hmm. and, and that nasty and he ran that in this herbicide tank really there, there's filter socks and things that you can do to screen that um to hopefully get some impurities out but uh if you have a well or good clear water definitely getting that is, is preferred but um we, we've chatted with folks who used neighbors um, you know, just gone out to them, said, hey, listen, here's my situation. Do you mind if I get some water or whether I pay you or just, you know, handshake deal? Most people are pretty receptive to it, which always makes it nice. Saves yeah. you a lot of money potentially. Yeah. So this is actually going to be part one of a podcast. I don't know if we'll do part two next week, but um, down the road we'll do, whenever that may be, we'll do large-scale farm. So that's when we'll get into big tractors, uh, no-till drills. Um, all kinds of bigger equipment that it, that is required to run a bigger operation. So this one, recreational farm, ideally in that 200 and down range uh, with the mix of open areas for food plots and different things. So, But uh, that, that hits a huge crowd. <clears throat> that hits a large consumer base of people who, you know, it's feasible for them to go out and hopefully afford that type of range. Not many people can go out and do full-on, um, you know, 500-acre tracks. So this right here is where a lot of people are going to find themselves in. So hopefully it's definitely useful for people to say, you know, I didn't think I could use that piece of equipment for that. And, and really that that's going to fit into my budget if you've already got a property or you're looking to get into it and you find yourself, what is it I really need? And there's going to be things in here, too, that we bring up that you don't need. You don't need to put your money into um, waste your time because you're not going to use it like you thought and get the results out of it you want as well. Yeah, so um, this is going to be a 30-minute podcast, um, so let's go ahead and jump right in, Matt. Yeah. Okay, what what would you consider, <clears throat> out of all the farms we've been on, um, consulting and doing the real estate, what is probably the one most popular piece of equipment that is a very, uh, it's the ultimate utility vehicle? Yeah, no doubt, 100%. Um, for, for multiple uses on a property, but a UTV um, is definitely an essential on a property for just getting around it, but then utilizing it for, you know, putting on sprayers, spreading seed, all these different things. But we found, and we've kind of discussed between ourselves, is, you know, we've been on a lot of different buggies from. Uh, Yamahas, the Kawasaki's, the Can-Ams, the Polaris, every single thing that you could imagine you could ride on. Landmaster. Yeah. I still probably hands down would go with a about 1,000 cc, you know, single bench Can-Am Defender. Yeah. That's what I think has the best ride, most power, um, and comes in at really a pretty affordable price for what it all has. In comparison to the other popular, like Polaris Ranger, I think for us is by far the most popular we've been in. Um, Oh, yeah, definitely. Because everybody's got them. But at the same time, it's like 
uh, a lot of the clients complain that they're money pits. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of repairs that have to go into that, and and that's this is just us giving you what what we've seen in in all of the uh, in all the properties we've been on. Like um, yeah, from, Polaris from has Delaware had a, to Kansas everywhere. had a lot of issues. Yeah. Now there's going to be guys that probably write into us and say, "I can't believe you'd say that. Mine's running great. Um, that that's great. I'm very happy for you. But from our experience, you're one of the few that <laughs> that aren't having those difficulties." Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, can am and and it, and a second place would be a Kawasaki Mule. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we've seen a lot of those, and those are are fine machines. But it seems like the can has got a, it seems like a little bit more power, um, and a, and a smoother ride. I, I think it definitely has a better suspension. It sits yeah. higher off the ground. You got more clearance, um, and I think you could just take it places that you can't take. Um, that Kawasaki mule. However, that is a definitely, um, it's a good, just, Hey, I'm going to put a spray on the back and, you know, pretty level ground and, and you're, you're good to go. Yeah. Um, but not that, that mule has always kind of surprised me though. Like, Hondas, look at it, we've been in Hondas too. But... And, and Gators yep. obviously in the Kubotas. Mm-hmm. Kubotas yep. are, uh, a, and, and hopefully this doesn't sound like we're dogging on any of them, but Kubota's a, a tank, uh, but they just don't have a ton of speed. <laughs> uh yeah. and suspension yeah. um so but overall i mean can-am takes the cake yeah and so and we that, gave it a fifteen thousand dollar uh budget and yeah. so our our goal is to keep everything under twenty five thousand. i think you mentioned that earlier yes twenty five thousand for this budget now this isn't a an annual budget this is more out of the gate you bought a farm you need you need the equipment to do everything you need this is the list we're giving you um, mm-hmm. so a buggy 15,000, preferably a Can-Am, um, just because of durability and, and use. Definitely. You're going <clears> to <throat> use it all the time. You're probably not going to go to the property and not hop on it to do something yeah. or utilize the rest of these tools along with the buggy. And one thing um, that always goes in that buggy that'll be item yes. number two will be a chainsaw and accessories. Yes. And, um, fixed flat or tire plugs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But chainsaw, oh my gosh. You chainsaw, chaps, helmet, gloves, eye protection, uh, files, and a scrunch. And, and you know, gas tank. Yeah, you know, gas oil mix. Stuff. Everything to make that chainsaw run and operate. What yes. are we coming in at? Flat file, filing down those uh, depth gauges. Um, <clears throat> chainsaws, pre- preference. Uh, steel Husky for us. Um, yeah. I'm, really I'm, I'm, kind of what's your parts dealer local. Like, don't buy a Husky if there's not a Husky dealer anywhere near you. Don't buy a steel if there's not a steel dealer anywhere near you. Um, you're going to need you're gonna need new chains. You're going to need a new um, bar. You're going to need something that's going to break at some point the life of that chainsaw. So make it easier on yourself. Um, I guess I would prefer a, a steel. And I think I've seen a lot of people overbuy and huh. or underbuy on the size of the of the chainsaw itself. Yep. And make sure you know what your typical job is going to be before you go out and buy the chainsaw. Don't waste your time on buying, you know, a massive bar for a chainsaw when you really you're just going to be dropping a couple trees here and there, but they're eight to ten inch diameter tree, you know, something like that. You don't need that. Um, just overkill for most of these guys is going to be anything above an 18 inch bar. 
truthfully, yeah, there's very few projects that you need more than an 18-inch bar. So yeah. my preference would be anywhere in that uh, steel farm boss range with a 16 or 8-inch bar. Um, and that goes from TSI. What? Yep. You said 16 or 8. 18. 18, yep. Yeah, 16 or 18-inch bar. Um, and that's kind of just a great – I mean, the farm boss has got its – it's got the name for a reason. It's kind of an all-around great TSI, great just cutting firewood, cutting limbs off the road. Um, to me, if I'm only buying one it's chainsaw, it's somewhere right there in that range of the 260, 271, 280s. 280. Yeah. 290 is about top. <clears throat> and, I mean, I'm running a 310 on my dad's old saw, so mm-hmm. it's a little bit big. But, man, I love when I when I hit that throttle, that baby's eating some wood. So, mm-hmm. um yeah, so right in that farm boss range is a great. I, I no complaints here. That would be if I'm buying if if I bought a farm and I need chainsaw, I'm looking at the farm boss. Yep. Uh, and that, just because fine. there's so many dealerships for steel around, across the country. So yeah. But if you have a husky uh, dealer right up the right up the road, then get the farm boss version of a of a husky. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and just you know again buy what you need it for if, if you have more room in the budget doesn't mean you need to spend it on on this tool here buy what you're gonna need that that middle of the range 16 18 inch bar is gonna do it so, so when, it, co- when it comes to the chainsaw that's like way up there you're gonna need it to yes. cut in roads you're gonna need to cut out limbs cut firewood for the fire pit you're gonna need it to trim shooting lanes you're gonna need it to cut in bedding area thickets uh, if you're trying to enhance the habitat, doing TSI, doing TSI cutting in fire lines, you're going to need it. So uh, you're going to, uh, the list goes on and on of reasons you need a chainsaw. So it's way up the list on what you need to improve the farm and uh, make your farm enjoyable. With all that being said, what does that come <clears throat> in at there? Price range. You know, we, we gave it a $600 budget. I, th- I think the farm yep. boss is somewhere in three to 400 and then the accessories. Um, so you know, you'll, you'll come right in there at that mark. Yeah, give or take a few, but roughly mm-hmm. six hundred. Um, you can yep. barter barter down the 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 dealer to get it under six hundred bucks. Um, yep. so next up, another big crucial thing if we're trying to improve habitat over the whole landscape: drip torch and gear that goes with the drip torch. Yes. Uh, clothing, uh, boots, lighters, everything you need. Um, drip torch, I think you can get them just over a hundred bucks. Is it's what we right there one ten, one twenty. You can yeah. typically find. So we gave it a two hundred dollar budget. Yep. So yep. Uh, can't can't don't, not have one. Don't know if we need to explain. I mean, there's some mm-hmm. states where you know you you're in an area you can't do prescribed fire. Then you don't need this. You can put that money somewhere else. But overall, uh, with most of our uh, clients, we're recommending prescribed fire because it is. We all want to look at ways that we can improve the land. And make the biggest impact, prescribed fire. Look no further than prescribed fire. No doubt. Without question. So Without with that question. being said, backpack blower. Yep. That comes right in line with the chainsaw, the, the drip torch, backpack blower, utilizing for implementing a prescribed fire. Um, and the other thing, too, that can be done with the backpack blower is, like, a lot of times you'll see um, in clover plots, you know, during the fall, when leaves fall, you get a lot of leaf build up on clover plots um, because a lot of times they're smaller in nature and kind of tucked away go in there and blow those off and allow those that clover to get you know the additional growing um, days the last few days make them that more palatable that much more attractive 
But you're always going to use a backpack blower in the fire line without question. So we gave it a $400 budget because get a good one. Yeah, don't don't under don't underdo it. You when when a fire jumps the line, you don't you don't want to yeah. be sitting there wishing don't, you had more power. Don't get the handheld one. Go with the shoulder no. mount backpack blower. Definitely. Spend the money. Definitely. Yep. yep. Um next up going with the fires is radios. We gave a $200 mm-hmm. budget for that. Um just in case you don't have cell service, um plus it's much easier to grab a radio and contact the rest of the crew. Yep. So we gave $200 on that one. Um, that pretty well wraps up the, you know, the chainsaws and the blower and the drip torch. So that's a that's a pretty good habitat improvement. Um, you can, it, you it's can crazy. Do, we won't get into the, to the dirty <clears throat> details of what all you can do with that, but it's nearly unlimited. Those types of disturbances, fire and chainsaw, you can do so much and make so many more improvements on the farm with just those simple tools. I would really love to get like 20 acres and just say, okay, I, I'm keeping myself to a $400 budget. Now, if I mm-hmm. can find ways to make some more money, I'll use that for other things. And the first thing I would do if, if that was the case, I'd buy a chainsaw and a backpack blower and a drip torch. Or mm-hmm. probably just a chainsaw and figure out a way to light fires with matches because <laughs> it's a lot cheaper <laughs> at the start. Um, and then cut some firewood, sell firewood, make some money, buy a drip torch, or buy a backpack blower, and go with that. So, um, yep. yeah, th- those very all rank very high on the priority list for us of what you need. For sure. So, next up, we're going into food plot world. Um, and this kind of ties back into the UTV, the buggy, the um, whatever you want to call it, wherever you're at in the world. So UTV, how are you going to plant food plots when you have a UTV and that ate up over half your budget? UTV can be used so much for planting food plots. Without a doubt. And doubt. we've kind of worked on a way to uh, to have successful food plots, um, but still having UTV and not having a small tractor and, and doing it very quickly. Um, and it doesn't take a lot of equipment. And we've had pretty doggone good uh, success with it. We've had we've been fortunate <clears throat> enough to have great success with it, and that's why we recommend it. It can be simply um, put: it's spray, broadcast, and roll. And what that does then is is line out the next pieces of equipment that you would need: is a sprayer, a hand seeder, and a cultipacker. And yeah. you're in the food plot game right there. So three tools. The sprayer that we like a lot to go with that UTV is a like a 60-gallon tank, 65-gallon tank. Um, we've got an ag spray uh, that sits on a little stand so it's or a little rack. A little skid. A little skid so you can adjust it, move the boom in and out, move it up and down. Um, we've got that, and it's got a, I think it's a four or four-and-a-half-foot boom, mm-hmm. but it's called a boomless sprayer because... Uh, it sprays a 30-foot swath. There's there's two nozzles on the very end of it that go out, um, respectively, about 15 feet. And so it's not that fine mist that you'll find, um, but it's extremely effective on the back of a UTV um, calibrated right, and it puts out some herbicide. And it's very um, even application, even with that boomless, boomless sprayer. And again, we're not precision ag, 
So it doesn't have to be 100% perfect. You don't want to overuse herbicide, of course, or underuse it. But we found that it's very um, useful for food plotting and spraying out fescue, all sorts of um, different applications. Yep. And so um, I, I we've used it for food plots. We use it for old field management. Uh, if mm-hmm. you're doing a fire, you could throw water in there because it's got a little wand on it, and you could be spraying fire line or or putting out hot spots with it. Um, Invasive species removal. <clears throat> there's so much you can do with this sprayer, and that's why we like it so much. And and all in that that sprayer with the with the boom, the pump to be able to to move enough water through there to get it's that a, thirty foot swath. I think it's, it's a three point three point eight gallons per minute sprayer mm-hmm. pump. So it it's way up there on the list of UTV, uh, UTV sprayer pumps. It's probably one of the biggest ones you could get, um, and it's pretty stinking awesome. Spreader, this is where you could go and save some money or spend some money and and gain some time back. You could go with a cheap thirty dollar bag spreader and just walk all your food plots, spreading your seed. Um, or you could go with a $150 mounted on sprayer that, uh, basically mounts on the front of the UTV and you just put your seat in and drive. Um, you can do either one of them. Uh, a a lot of times I like to have the bag just for smaller food plots, um, and put in in clover, but a UTV definitely, if you got maybe, um, a larger food plot, and it's just easier, less hassle, and you could do good long straight lines. Go ahead and put that um, spreader, spreader on, on your UTV and roll, rock and roll. Yep. And then the next one is if you're buying new. Now, there's a lot of old ones out there that you can knock off this what we accounted for. But did we? Yeah, we said spreader 150 bucks. Next and, one, and the sprayer was 600 dollars. Yes, Coltapacker. And we like the Cultipacker. Um, you could use a roller. Here's what we would recommend. Whatever one you go with, try to get one that you can use that's road ready. So you uh-huh. have the ability to roll it over and put it on rubber wheels and haul it down the road. Um, ours, the one we've used in the past, is a homemade Cultipacker, but more roller now. And it is a pain to haul it from food plot to food plot. But we gave $1,500 budget because they can get pretty expensive. But at the same time, you can find them on Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, uh, laying around old fields. Um, remember finding that one over in eastern Missouri this past year? Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Cultipacker is, is definitely a, a game changer in an in a, in a ability to plant food plots and be successful. Well, And, and here's, here's a good reason why. Uh, just a, a small illustration is we like planting high diverse blends. And so we'll use herbicide, terminate that, spread the seed. And then with that cult packer, um, because we have such different variant stages of growth and different forages itself, we're then using that cult packer to roll over that terminated forage and help protect the seed as it's germinating and, and beginning to produce the next crop in that food plot. Um, and <coughs> it's extremely useful, uh, for limiting, hopefully some weeds by creating a little bit of a weed mat and then 
um, locking in that moisture as well to the ground and helping that those plants decay helps, and create more organic matter. It helps create so, a vapor barrier, almost a greenhouse effect, to where there's moisture down underneath that, that thatch from the past food plot. What is crucial to this technique is having enough growth to help protect that seed. I've yep. seen some other people try this technique, um, but they do it in a very short a short field, uh, an old pasture, and there's not much thatch, you don't have much success um, or any success. Yep. And then I've also seen it where you, th- you have tons of thatch, you have a large amount of seed, the appropriate amount of seed scattered out, and then you didn't get the rain. And the yep. seed germinated and then died. That can happen as well. This is not the preferred way to plant food plots. I hope everyone can understand that. This is just a a way to plant food plots on a budget without destroying our soil health by deep tillage. Yep, absolutely. This this is is an alternative. That's exactly what it is. It's an effective alternative when you have the right amount of cover to lay over and you get the appropriate amount of rains. It is a form of no-tilling because we're just broadcasting the seed, um, so you're, you're soil health conscious. But, again, there, there are things that could go wrong um, and address them. And, and However, knowing that and sharing that, hopefully now you can use it successfully and, and come in under budget or on budget on your property. That's right. While we're on cultipackers, rollers are similar to a cultipacker, but we like a cultipacker better. A roller can still work. Um, I just feel like we get a little bit better disturbance or um, seed-to-soil contact by a cultipacker. Um, mm-hmm. Crimpers are a huge buzz right now, and because we know we're going to get questions about it, we're going to go ahead and address it. Is a crimper worth your money when it comes to food plot applications matt and i are both going to tell you most likely probably not Um, well for 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 many reasons because we're not going in (coughs) excuse me we're not going in and planting a single species where you know this is not an agricultural setting the the fields are not very even they're not very level so that they can be there can be stumps in them there could be hard pans or or hard uh clay soils most food plot acres aren't ideal conditions uh usually we've carved them out of timber or we've carved them out of the edge of a field if it was going to be productive pasture or crop ground then it would be that and we wouldn't have our food plot so food plots are usually really difficult ground to grow great crops on hopefully they're, they're you're secondary one of the fields <clears throat> yes essentially and the crimper really came from uh, cover cropping and terminating crops without herbicide. Um, but a large majority of those cover crops are cereal rye, and mm-hmm. which has got a long, sometimes six-foot stem, and that's easily to lay o- easy to lay over and crimp. But it's not effective on small grains uh, or small plants like clovers and turnips and radishes. Um, and this comes from our own experience and experience of our clients um that that are that have these crimpers and are testing them and going it's just not working too well for me i'm still using herbicide 
And with it's, that, it's not getting the effective termination <clears throat> out of a crimp. It it terminates the the large grains, the cereal grains, really well. But because I have diversity mixed in, um, I still end up using herbicide. Um, and at the same time, it it can create the timing is very small. It, typically, you want to do it while during the flowering stage or the dough stage. Um, and you know how many food plot guys are out there going. Uh, man, this next weekend I'm going to get out to the farm and, and I'm going to plant my food plots. And you could get out to the farm on the weekend and you're already, you're before, after uh, that f- stage that we need to effectively crimp and you miss the window and you're crimping and you don't have any success or very low success and you have to turn around and spray it anyway. And then you're even further behind um, in that spring planting any further you bump back, whenever you get the appropriate soil temperature to plant your spring crops, if you're planting soybeans or a mix, any further into the summer or late spring, you risk missing more rains, getting into the dog days of summer, and having a harder time with a successful crop. This yeah. is where the crimper can be a problem <coughs> of trying to find the right time. It pushes you back a little further. And then you're trying to, you're already behind the eight ball. Plus, you know, most crimpers are a lot more expensive than a cultipacker or a roller. Yeah, and, and you're covering way more uh, ground by using um, a sprayer. And listen, I, you know, we're we're not trying to be a you know, oh, go herbicide deal, no, but it's simply a logical application process that we're that we're talking about and discussing is what is the most effective way to terminate food plots in a food plot setting with diverse blends on a budget mm-hmm. and it is without a doubt using herbicide still and spraying that terminating the crop and broadcasting or planting through that um in in high diverse situations and this is this is the debate i've had with multiple people <clears throat> that are really into soil health as much as i am and the question is which is worse herbicide or tillage um, and then also, which is worse, a monoculture or tillage or herbicide? Um, a case could be made really hard against how they're all bad. Um, and so if you're using a crimper and you still have to do a herb, a one-time, our ideal situation is we do a one-time treatment of herbicide, we plant a high diverse blend, and then that goes right into the fall, and then we broadcast our fall cover crop and we have something growing year round and we had a one-time treatment of herbicide unfortunately or two if we're trying to terminate uh if we get really tall summer growth out of our crop and we need to get that knocked back so we have a successful fall crop we may have to use a second treatment but if i'm already doing that with the crimper um, because i i mixed in the high diversity because i refused to plant a monoculture then we've spent money that didn't need to be spent so there's that little uh, tidbit on, um, I think it's Goog- it, it, Google think, seven, think... seven Things Your Mother Never Told You About Crippers. That's a yeah. pretty good article I just read out of Rutgers University. Um, yeah. So check that out. Matt, you got anything else to add on crimpers, cultipackers, and rollers? I just, just the fact that, you know, this is, this is what lots of people are, are, are finding out. Um, and again, it just becomes a, a logical situation of, um, you know, planting and termination. 
Um, yeah. You know the we're, joke. We're coming in under budget. The joke we've always heard, Matt, is nobody can spend money. There's the nobody can spend money money like the government, but nobody can spend money like a land consultant or a wildlife consultant spending uh, a landowner's money. And this yeah. is where we're not wanting to spend your money on buying an expensive crimper or cultipacker. Look around, look for used equipment, um, and go with the cheaper option. Um, no, and that, that's a, that's a great point. Is hey, listen, you know, we operate on a strict budget on things that we have to prioritize and make. Okay, well, what do we want to do? Can can we can we do that this year? Is that feasible? Well, no. Well, let's try this alternative, or let's create this alternative mm. way to do it um, for us and ourselves to come in at our budget and where we think that we need to be. So, you know, we recommend and utilize the techniques and share those with clients based on their, um, you know, position as well. And so we're right there with you. If, if there's a way to save a buck or do something different, we're going to try it. Um, and that's where this list right here that we're talking about comes in handy. This is because, hey, listen, this is what we live and breathe all the time. This is our this is our daily way to manage the farm we're talking about. So, yes. So going on, we're over 30 minutes now, so we're going to keep rolling. But when it comes to the food plots, uh, I think it was Dr. Craig Harper out of the University of Tennessee did a, a kind of a, I don't know if it was a study or what you would call it, but on average he found that about $300 an acre when it comes to um, seed and soil amendments. So fertilizer, lime, um, soil samples, etc. a year for food plots. So about 300 bucks. Let's just say we're using five acres, um, a five acre. So $1,500 and all that. So it's $1,500 in food plot, um, seed and soil amendments. Another $150 for the herbicide, uh, one or two treatment herbicide for the food plot areas. Um, so we're looking at sixteen fifty for food plots, um, which isn't bad, uh, but that's where an, that's an every year expense. And I want to point out: let's say it's a two hundred acre farm, and we have five acres of food plots. How's that ratio weigh in comparison to um, big gulps there, Matt? Um, uh, What's that ratio in in your impact for the wildlife? It's not very good. And we're looking at the comparison of food plot seed, fifteen hundred dollars, and then herbicide. So sixteen fifty versus um, chainsaws, drip torch, backpack blower radios, which ends up being there's six hundred, twelve hundred, fourteen hundred. Um, so right right around the same thing, and we could do way more, make a a huge impact. Yes. And so keep that in mind. Um, next thing up, uh, a disc. What? Did they really say you need a disc? Yes. The disc, old field management, and fire breaks. Um, if you're in rocky country and you can't use a disc, probably don't need to even worry about it. Uh, we're going to have to do something else with the burning to stimulate more forbs and try to get more uh, uh, herbaceous plants instead of your choked out native grass stands um so a disc 500 bucks uh go find a used one nope 
throw some rocks on it or throw some weight on it and just lightly turn the soils to build a great fire break or lightly turn to stimulate some ragweed forbs in your food plots or in your old field stands. Okay, next big expense. 500 bucks for the disc. Next big expense. We got to talk about tree stands. Um, those are a huge expense. When it comes to prioritizing, you just bought a farm, you need you need to get the equipment, but then you can't don't have a budget to put in tree stands. Go with a mobile tree stand setup, whether that's a really light stand that you can hang and hunt every time you go out or a couple of cheap stands and one really good light stand. Um, that you can have like two permanents and then you move around with the other one or go with the new tree saddle, saddle option. Tree saddle's been around since the 80s, but for some reason 2018, everybody's talking about tree saddles. Um, it circled back around again, I guess. Um, Yep. Yeah. For a tree saddle or For sure. Next up, everybody wants to have trail cameras. So, yeah. So, hopefully with that budget, you can get a whole bunch of cheap ones on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace, or you can go get some really nice, a tr nice tree saddle and a couple other stands. Um, next up, trail cameras. Uh, we gave it a $1,000 budget because we're talking 200 acres. So if you go out and you get eight cameras right around 100 bucks, and you get batteries and SD cards, that's putting you right there to where you've got enough cameras to cover some ground, um, but not so many that they're on every tree and you're making a whole lot of disturbance trying to check them. Um, we gave a $1,000 budget. Matt, I'm trying to zip through this because we're running low on batteries here on both phone and recorder. Uh, and so, and we also gave accessories, but I'm having accessories and gear. We gave $500 budget for things we might have overlooked. But with that, with everything we just listed out, I think that if our math is correct, on Easter Sunday at with four hours of sleep, $23,100. So take that, that $500 off and we're looking at, what is that, twenty two. Uh, $22,600. Um, so out of a $25,000, you've got a couple extra thousand to play with or keeping for repairs or whatever. Uh, gas. <clears throat> so with all that stuff, you've got a buggy, chainsaws and accessories, drip torch, drip torch and gear, backpack blower, food plots and accessories, so seed, fertilizers, lime, herbicide, um, radios for the fire, sprayer for the herbicide, uh, an old field manager, everything else, uh, spreader for your food plot seed, um, cultipacker, uh, disc, tree stands, and trail cameras. And when we came in just over $22,600 um, in a 25000 So you, you're doing some work there. <clears throat> 
That's right. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this. Shoot us an email if you've got any questions on purchasing a farm. Uh, maybe we can help you. We're both licensed real estate agents out of Missouri. We can help you in a lot of places, though. Um, info at landandlegacy.tv. Um, also, if you're interested in consulting work, uh, having us out to help you with your property, same email. Shoot us and uh, shoot us an email, and we'll be glad to help you. We've now been in 26 states, over 35,000 acres in our just over two years of existence. So we flat covered some ground in two years. Please leave us. Nope, we're only getting started. Uh, the best is yet to come. Please leave us a review on iTunes or our Facebook page. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel. A lot more videos going up. Uh, a lot of turkey hunts right now, but soon going to see a lot of habitat work on how-tos. So check it out. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.